We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna London, The Jaguars have had a halftime lead. McCoy on first down. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. That was Andrew Catalan with a call from CBS Sports. I'm Drew Gear, your your host. Chris Kruger, my producer. Good Lord. You want to talk about a game that can give somebody anxiety? I mean, Jesus Christ, Bills. The 2-8 Jaguars, and you take me to the fourth quarter. What, are, what did I say last week? We play to the level of who we play. Jesus Christ. We played like a 2-8 two and, two and eight team. At least in the first half. I mean, I've got I've, I've got plenty to say, folks. But the Bills won the weekend in ex- inexplicable fashion, considering we were playing a team that was two and eight coming into Sunday. Absolutely nerve wracking affair. But at least I can feel better knowing that I'm not stupid enough to say something like this. Jacksonville covers seven. Ugh. We have Reed's at the table. Reed, you witness his handshake. Done. Seven done. I will take your seven. So for those of you who just heard that, Chris and I just bet I think the Bills will cover the spread. No, Jackson will, will cover seven. Oh, you're an idiot. I think Bills will win, but it'll be by less than seven. That was me last week. And if you caught the end of the show, do you know what my score prediction was? What was your score prediction? 27 Chris? to 21 Buffalo. Oh, and we snuck in the last one. I was oh, on pace. They got you. I was on pace with Carpenter so, with his friggin' miss. And then we went for two. So, so I have to have a Seagram's. Without further ado, Chris is going to start sipping on his uh, sipping on a Seagram's sangria. And Drew is too because he still owes me for uh, maybe I think it was three episodes ago. He said we wouldn't hit one fifty and we hit two hundred. So, right. cheers to sangria Seagram's. Cheers, you bastard! Oh Christ, this is going to be gross. 
It's disgusting. Ew. <laughs> this tastes like this tastes like someone drank wine and then threw it up. Oh. For anyone out there, Seagram's, if anyone for who works for Seagram's can hear this or get this in the hands of someone who does work for Seagram's. Kill yourself. Do, no, do everyone a favor and torch that place. What a, wherever your corporate headquarters are, I, just burn it for the, for, the, for the good of humanity and drinkers everywhere. I feel like we should at some point, maybe we should reach out to Brad Ryder of Trending Buffalo. Because he's like some of our Seagram's tweets. <laughs> so maybe like we can entice him to come on the show at some point. No. With the Seagram's I, I, bet. I don't want anything to do with these Seagram's bets, but they keep popping up. That's our, I, that's our go-to bet. You know what I do want to do is I want to get into this week's Buffalo Bills news update. Injuries, injuries, and more friggin' injuries. Right? Now, last week, before the game even took place, Robert Blanton, he was injured on the second-to-last play of the Cincinnati game. He was sent to the IR prior to kickoff on Sunday. You know, further depleting you know, what was already a train-wrecked depth chart at the safety position. One week before we took on, you know, who I guess a team that you could call garbage-time champions. But Oh, yeah. My fantasy team knows that. I got Bortles. I mean, Blake Bortles can huck the ball downfield. And now the problem is is that we're looking at our safety depth chart wondering who's going to help us step up when we have to take on possibly one of the most explosive offenses in football. And then on Sunday, our depth chart took another hit as Ron Darby was removed from the game in the first quarter with a concussion, and he's still in the concussion protocol. I won't expect him to play. I mean, that's, it's going to be a huge story to watch this week, as will the return of Mike Gillisley and the health of Marcel Darius. We're going to need all hands on deck on defense for this game. And those three injury stories are going to be huge in the run-up to our trip to Oakland this week. I mean, as of today, the staff sounds pretty confident in Gillesley playing. But the other two, it's unclear. You know, I mean, what do we do if we go in there missing our number two cornerback against a team that clearly just abuses everybody through the air? I, I, Crabtree, <sighs> Cooper. Good Lord. Was it Sam? Seth Seth Roberts. Roberts. Well, we've got got plenty to talk about those boys a little bit later. So, in other news, word has come down this week that Des Lewis has been called up to the 53-man roster for our upcoming game against Oakland. Now, I've I've got a lot of thoughts on this topic, topic, and I've brought up Des Lewis's name a lot. And it's not anything I've been shy about. My first question is this. Why hasn't this move been made already? I mean, we're, we're in week 11 of the season. Our wide receiver depth chart has been decimated for a majority of the season. And yet, this is the first time Des Lewis is even stepping on the field for the Bills. It raises, it stands to question, you know, it makes me question, is he, is he that bad that when injuries popped up, instead of going to a guy who's been on their roster for two years now, who's been through training camp for two years now with this team, they instead went to, to, to free agency twice. Hunter and Harvin. They went to free agency twice and then brought up Walter Powell ahead of him in line to get playing time. I mean, Chris, what, what do you make of that? I mean, it, it, that has to mean something, right? If, he's, if he wasn't the first guy up, considering how long he spent here and how familiar with this offense he should be, why wasn't he brought up sooner? I think he was in the last round of cuts out of the... Uh, this past training camp and mm-hmm. 
last year's training camp. And I don't, I don't get it. I mean, obviously his one knock is he doesn't get physical. Like when you do a red zone play to him, like just for example, the Justin Hunter touchdown, like that would be a scenario where, where you throw the ball to Des Lewis, but he's not really shown his fight for jump balls. Well, I mean, and that, and that right there is a problem because he's a big guy, but if he's not going to play big, then that raises the question of why is he still here? And then my other question is, where does he slot into this offense? Okay, Marquise Goodwin, for lack of a better term, he's, he's been a non-factor of the last couple games. I mean, Marquise got two catches for 15 yards last week. Yeah, glass Goodwin. This, on Sunday, I forgot he was even out there. I'll be honest. I forgot he was even a part of our offense. He's just been a complete non-factor for us this season. And in a contract year, you can't have that. Okay? And Hunter is just criminally underutilized. I think he had one catch, right? One the target touch, and one catch. The touchdown. And, and it's been like that for weeks. But I have a hard time believing that, even for as poorly as Goodwin's played, that Des Lewis is actually worthy of a significant share of snaps, considering my previous point. I mean, there must be something wrong with the guy if he's not getting looked at as the next man up over street-free agents who've never seen our playbook before. Or somebody that's always injured, like Harvin. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how he's utilized. You know, he's got an opportunity in front of him. I mean, I hate, I hate to knock anybody who's out there trying to make uh, trying to make it in the NFL. I don't want to knock any of these guys. He's got an opportunity, and hopefully, the team gives him an opportunity to you know to show what it is he's here for. And I just pray to God he capitalizes on it because I just I don't see it. I mean, with the moves the team made, I just don't see why Des Lewis is here in this position. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Chantrell Henderson has officially been suspended for the, by the NFL for a second time for marijuana use. But this is different than, I would say, 95% of the cases that you see of this. And it pisses me off. Okay, I'm not going to mince words about it. A few months ago, we here on the Rockpile Report did an investigation, and we talked about how modern research has shown that marijuana is a powerful tool when trying to treat patients who are suffering from Crohn's and other you know, bowel-related disorders. It can stimulate uh, you know, whatever other regimen of drugs they're on become more effective. They've seen a higher rate of successes for people who can overcome their symptoms while using THC in conjunction with these other drugs and these other treatments. And yet, here he is being suspended again for doing something that, I mean, it just boggles my mind. When you consider that Henderson's illness was so bad that he had to have 80 centimeters of his intestines removed just to alleviate some of his symptoms, it's clearly a serious illness, right? They need to challenge or rework the CBA and the drug policies when it when it comes to using marijuana because well, this they, is clearly for Crohn's disease. Well, you're, of course they need to. That's common sense. But the fact is, there are a bunch of stodgy old men who don't want to. They don't want to. I mean, I maintain my previous stance on all of this. It is bullshit for the NFL to tout this idea that they care about making the game better and safer for its athletes when all evidence points to the contrary. 
I mean, what was it? Two weeks ago, we did a show all about how season-ending injuries are on the rise and the NFL continues to do things that fly in the face of their athletes staying healthy. And then you talk about it. You've got the NFL taking the stance that there can be no medical exemption made available to players whose long-term health, okay? Football, you maybe get five to ten years max. I'd say the majority of players fall somewhere in that window. Well, I think it's, I think it's like three and a half years is the average length of a career. And I think a lot of that takes into consideration guys who play on the practice squad, guys who you know are kind of in and out of the league. When you look at the league as a whole, named players, big-name players, generally have, fall anywhere between that window of five to ten years. Okay? So they have to think about that. I mean, because what are you, 32 years old? And then your NFL playing career is over, and I'm 31. I'll tell you this, I'm, I'm probably going to be here until I'm a grouchy old prick. So I have, my, I have another 30 maybe plus years to worry about, my long-term health. So do these players. And I think it's absolute crap that the NFL takes the stance that there's no exemption to be made for them when their long-term health could be put in jeopardy, but could be helped by medicinal marijuana, which is a, it's, it, it's available to regular people. All across the world. Plus, it seems like with each election, there are more states legalizing at least medicinal marijuana. And I'll tell you this. If I, if I was Chantrell Henderson, I would absolutely consider retiring from the NFL at this point in order to get the treatment that I need. I mean, the NFL has gotten lucky so far because the only premature retirements of players have been mostly supporting players. I mean, you have, you know, they're not stars in the league. Guys who drastically change the outcome of the game for their team. You know, you look at outside of Patrick Willis and Kelvin Johnson, or maybe two of the most recent cases of star athletes retiring because the health concerns just be, it's became too much for them. I think the the one that started it all was Chris Borland from the 49ers. Well, no, Chris Borland retired after Patrick Willis did because Patrick because the 49ers thought they were set. They you know they said okay Patrick Willis with his ankle injuries and he wants to be able to run around with his kids. But so Borland he, only played one season. Yeah, and his concussion was so severe, and he he experienced those symptoms for one full season, and said, "I never want to do this again. I just don't want to do it again." More and more players are thinking about their long term health. I think the NFL's gotten lucky that it hasn't affected more of their star players. But those two guys. Kelvin Johnson and Patrick Willis serve as a cautionary tale to both new athletes coming into the league and existing players who maybe have a track record of injury and health issues. Despite all of the talk, the NFL doesn't always care about what's best for you and that someday you might have to honestly choose between your job and your future. All right, everybody, and special treat here for all of our listeners. Our guest tonight, Bills and Beers Podcast. Lars, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Now, before we intro you, i got to ask you a question. You know, we're talking about Chantrell Henderson and this suspension. How do you feel? You know, how, how, what, what are your thoughts on this entire situation? Uh, I, think it's, I, I, I think that the NFL's policy on marijuana in general is just completely outdated. Uh, and I, I, I kind of I give a little credence to the conspiracy theorists out there who believe that because the NFL is in bed so heavily with the the beverage companies that they want to keep any and other any all and any and other substances off the table. So I, I come I kind of buy into that because there's really no other explanation for it. 
unfortunately, it is the rules. So you you got to abide by the rules. And unfortunately, Sean Charles Henderson finds himself in a situation where it seems that like it's probably his best therapeutic option, if that is the case. But I'm kind of skeptical that that is the case. If if you guys recall, Sean Charles Henderson was like a blue chip high school recruit and was slated as one of the best tackles in the draft where we got him, but he slid all the way to the seventh round because he had some question marks about his dalliances with marijuana. So I don't know if this is, has, has, been his, has been his drug of choice for recreation purposes or if he's been treating Crohn's with this all along, but I think it's part of me, the cynic in me, part of me thinks that like this the Crohn's treatment is kind of like a – a little bit of an excuse for a guy who also just kind of likes to get high. Well, and you know, <laughs> I understand the cynicism because I I feel you. No, I, I I don't believe a lot of things. You know what I mean? I, I'm I'm known to be pretty cynical. I think in this instance, though, when they talk to him, when they you know in interviews and things like that, they talk to Sean Troll, and he flat out said he goes, you know, I know I had problems. I know I screwed up when I was in my past. I've been tested almost every three weeks. He's yeah. like, I, I, and I've been clean. He's like, the only thing is, he's like, this is what they tell me I need in order to get better. So I can see where you're coming from. You think maybe he just sees this as his golden ticket to be able to get high and have an excuse for it. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's a possibility. However, the dude also lost like, what, 80 pounds? 80 um, pounds, and they had to cut out 80 centimeters of his intestines. In order yeah, to get him just to walk around. And he's busted his ass to get back to, to playing shape and to be able to play professional football at a yeah. high level. Yeah. So there's clearly a drive and a motivation in him. He's not just some couch potato stoner who's just trying to get by to get by. I mean the dude's got a little fire and a little desire in his belly, but um, it, it is hard to ignore his past. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree with you. It'll, and I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what he chooses to do from here on out because I don't think this is this isn't something that's going away for him. So no, one way or another, he's going to have to make a choice. To the CBA and they renegotiate this stuff. Well, marijuana are they? Is the league going to get a suddenly lackadaisical about it? I mean, if, if that's his only option, he simply can't be in the NFL. Exactly. Which which sucks. You know what I mean? Because you yeah. hate to see players leaving the league early because of injury, illness, because of anything like that. Absolutely. So, Lars, I don't know if a lot of our fans know you guys, know your podcast. So, um, as we do with all of our guests, we're going to give you a little intro here. First sure. and foremost, I've got some questions. Um, so, you're from Chicago. Uh, I live in Chicago. I'm from Erie, PA. Okay, so is so I guess my first question is how is it that you became a Bills fan? I became a Bills fan because I was at a very impressionable age when they were in the Super Bowl every year. <laughs> uh, and because my mom's sister moved to Buffalo and and married a guy from Buffalo, so it was sort of in our family. And mm-hmm. Erie is sort of split about probably about 50% to two-thirds of the people who live in Erie are Steelers fans, but the rest is it's a pretty even split between Browns and Bills fans. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not completely like at a left field that a person from Erie PA would cheer for the Bills. Um, and then I uh, I played sports all through high school and Erie was always in the blackout uh, zone because for some reason Erie is considered part of the Buffalo media market as it pertains to the Bills. So I didn't actually get to watch the Bills all that much as I was kind of like beginning to understand sports a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But then when I went to college, 
my fraternity house had the NFL Sunday ticket. And I, because of that, I don't think I've missed or maybe only missed two or three games since 2004. I've, I've managed to like find a way to watch a game like every weekend since then. That's awesome. And part of that, yeah, and part of that was watching with um, a dude that I, I became friends with senior year. Uh, he's from Orchard Park. We went to college together in Pennsylvania, and uh, we just kind of became friends watching Bills games together on Sundays when we were seniors. And then I found out he was moving to Chicago after graduating. I was moving to Chicago after graduating. So we kind of stayed friends that way. And his one of his classmates from Orchard Park was already in Chicago. He was watching games with uh, the guy who's the president of the Bills back in Chicago and this girl named Cassie. So the five of us just started watching Bills games together. This was back in 2006. Uh, every Sunday at the Bills Bar, one of the Bills Bars, there's two here in Chicago. Uh, and then I think it was 2009, we started doing our podcast. Uh, so that's that has, that's pretty much my Bills journey in a nutshell. And what are the uh, what are the two bar locations in Chicago? Yeah, so the, we watch ours at uh, this place called Lincoln Station, which is at uh, the the corner of Lincoln, Fullerton, and Halstead. And then literally half a mile up the street on Lincoln is a bar called Delilah's, and that's the other Bill's bar. Um, the difference between the two, Delilah's, like no kitchen, no frills. Ooh. Last time I was there, it was like, you know, it's a teeny tiny little TV above the bar. Yeah, you I can't mean, it have fe- that. It, it, well, it feels like you're in Buffalo, like mid-90s, <laughs> watching games there. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a hoot, mm-hmm. but... Like on Sunday, I kind of like having a bar chair with a back on it and having people bring me food and have a creature comforts and like, mm-hmm. you know, HD projection screen five feet from my face. Oh, yeah. So that's sort of why we've we've kind of leaned towards Lincoln Station to watch the games. So and now your show, it's you, Lars. It's mm-hmm. um, Cassie. She's that's also right. a part of this. And who in Sujit? Sujit. Sujit's technically the president of the Bills Backers of Chicago, which basically means – he gets contacted from the mothership once a year, and then like they send him like all this kind of swag to hand out to our chapter members. That's um, pretty cool. And then the two guys from Orchard Park have since moved from Chicago. One's in Milwaukee, and one's down in Austin, and that's that's uh, Bill and Jeff respectively. Um, so they they rounded out, and now since we have our new rig, which we were talking about before going live. We're able to call them in, and we gave them their own segment so they could be back with the podcast. Oh, nice! And uh, about what do you guys average per week at Lincoln Station, as far as people that come out? <laughs> Depending on the time of year and the Bills' record, um, <laughs> I would say in the first couple weeks, I mean it's packed, man. It's a couple hundred people, easy. There's uh, there's two rooms, and they'll both be like standing room only. But like last weekend. You know, we're getting a little late on in the season. Playoffs are still alive, but, you know, hope is fading fast. And it's also Thanksgiving weekend. And, of course, as you might imagine, a lot of the Buffalo fans who live in Chicago, probably not in Chicago for Thanksgiving. Probably a lot of them are back in western New York mm-hmm. with their families. So the bar was pretty thin last weekend. I would say maybe only a couple dozen people were there. Okay. so But it can get wild, man. It can get really, really wild up in oh, there. Oh, I can imagine. So, guys, yeah, for, time games for all of our listeners who may not know, the Bills and Beers was probably one of the first major amateur Buffalo Bills podcasts. And, I mean, right now, they have a huge following. And you guys definitely want to go check them out when you get a minute. Of course, obviously, after you listen to our show. <laughs> yeah, man, I've noticed that we've lost about 15% of our listenership this year, and I think I know where they're all going. 
That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so for every single first-time guest, I have a series of questions that I just like to, you know, kind of rapid fire, and then we're going to move on to our next segment here. But I got to ask, just so I can get to know you, the fan. Now, obviously, we know what you do on game days. You know, mm-hmm. we know where you are. We know where everyone can find you. So I guess I got to ask, on game day, what is your soup du jour? What is your, you know, your food and beverage combo? What, well, what kind of a drinker and what kind of an eater are you, Lars? Oh, man. You... <laughs> so first off, we as a group have been like fighting this for years because we've been trying to figure out the right combination of foods, which are lucky or unlucky. Uh, so we have got several menu items that we've ruled out, including chips and salsa, chips and queso. Um, and we're still this year trying to grapple whether or not having wings on the table is lucky or unlucky. But uh, so far this year, wings have been pretty lucky. So we try to do an order of wings at the start of each half and always have a pitcher of Labatt on the table. Uh, but lately, I've been going to the gym before going to the bar. So, like, I need to get something in me that's not just, like, just grease and fat and, mm-hmm. and you know, vinegar and buffalo sauce. So, mm-hmm. like, I've been eating salads at the bar during the game. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and answer your question honestly because that's just how I roll these days. Salads. All right. Well, yeah. you, you know what? I'm, Is it at least a buffalo chicken salad? I gotta no, say, it's not. It's a blackened chicken salad. It's good, okay, though. Okay, okay. Well, got well, some avocado you and You get corn. some protein in there. I like the avocado. That's the thing. The avocado is killer. Okay. Oh, so yeah. then what are you – now are you an IPA guy? Are you a domestic guy? Are you a liquor kind of guy on Sundays? Oh, definitely not a liquor guy because I got to get up and work on Monday. Um we will only usually ever drink Labatt during mm-hmm. um, during the games, but we uh, if you listen to Bills and Beers, we, we like to talk about the beers we drink because Lincoln Station actually does a really good job of having a rotating tap menu that's different every week. So we always pull, I was just saying, yeah, I hear so you guys always, talking a lot about IPAs and different yeah. beers. Okay. Are you an IPA so, guy? Yeah, I definitely lean towards the bitter stuff for sure. Okay. Um, Right now, I'm just drinking a Yinling, and but uh, I have with that. waiting for me in my fridge here um, some Spotted Cow from uh, the New Glarus Brewery in Wisconsin, hmm. which if you guys aren't familiar, it's because you can only get it in Wisconsin, and I highly recommend it. If you make it your way there, huh. you got to get to New Glarus and get some Spotted Cow. It is delicious. Well, I'll have to keep that in mind. I'm pretty sure we're familiar with it at work because <laughs> oh, yeah. I deal with breweries. I mean, not directly. I just make the parts. But I'm sure uh, our guy in shipping, he uh, does all that and knows all the because we deal with breweries across the United States and the entire world. Hell yeah! Well, I'm telling you, if you get to Wisconsin, you got to have some. It's like a Wisconsin delicacy. It's great. Well, I'm gonna have to, I'm definitely gonna make a note of that. So that brings us. Woo! We are gonna get here with our Week 12 recap: Bills against the Jacksonville Jaguars. As always, we're going to kick it off with the stats of the game. Jacksonville's defense, 166 passing yards allowed in five sacks. Jacksonville's offense, 183 rushing yards, no turnovers. First game all season, scoring a touchdown on their opening drive. They haven't scored on an opening drive since week two of last season. Blake Bortles, 81 yards rushing. Buffalo on third down. 5 of 12, good for 41%. Bill's red zone offense, 100% success rate. Tyrod Taylor, 12 of 18, 66% completion percentage, 
166 in a touchdown, one rushing touchdown, and a QBR of 114.6. God. <laughs> that QBR number drives me crazy. I mean, I guess where, where, you, where do you start with this game? I mean, it was honestly the tale of two halves. I, you're talking about, Chris, between kickoff and the end of the first half, I would be a liar if I said that either one of these teams looked like an NFL caliber team. I mean, you're talking about 13 combined points, six sacks allowed between both of the teams. Six sacks were given up in the first half, four of them on Buffalo's end. And McCoy had five rushing yards on eight carries. Five friggin' yards. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. We've got too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to keep our composure. Lars, were, were you as close to throwing things as I was? I was, I was just straight up throwing things, man. It was <laughs> a tough game to watch. It really was. It was it, it, on both sides, too, because from Tyrod, you got a guy who's just like sits, 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 and won't throw the ball, just driving us insane. And then on defense, we're doing great on first and second down, and then we just can't get off the field on third down. And the combination of those two things just week after week, it makes these games just so hard to watch. Oh, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the, what made it worse, I mean, you know, te- te- by now the, the playbook is out on the Buffalo Bills. Teams know how we're coming to attack them. The Jaguars defense came into this game looking to shut down our rushing attack by stacking the box, which this isn't the first time we've seen that. But here's Rex talking about it on his Mon- in his Monday presser. Well, they basically stayed the same the whole way, uh, but they did a great job. They're putting them all down there. There's no question, and uh, and they did a great job. They got some. Uh, they have a lot of speed at linebacker, and we are having a tough time, in my opinion, getting the backside linebacker uh, pinned. So, uh, but it seemed like wherever he went, there was a free guy. So, you know, uh, I thought they did a really good job. Rex Ryan Sunday press conference. I don't Drew. I don't know football as well as you what does he mean pinned linebacker okay when he's talking about pinning the linebacker i watched the film okay i did a rewatch they were always playing single high safety looks but what they would do is they would play an extra safety close right up on the line of scrimmage on almost all of our rushing plays and so what would happen is is that off the snap one of your linemen has to account for that guy which means that there's no lineman there to climb to the second level so no matter how well you block there is one extra linebacker. You, usually it was Telvin Smith. Telvin Smith was flying all over the field making plays against their offense. And he's a, he's a great linebacker. I mean, I give him a lot of credit. But it's like we just couldn't. Early on in that football game, we had no answer for that formation. And their linebackers were just flying to the football and making tackles. Good, because I was in, when I was listening to the press conference, he didn't name names, but I was like, he better not be talking about Puzzlesny. <laughs> Lars, are you, were you a Paul plus doesn't guy when he was here? Dude, I love every guy who puts on a Buffalo Bills uniform, and as soon as they walk out the door, they're my worst enemy. And yes, I love Paws. But I got to say, all week long, Rex Ryan was saying, you know, this is the best 2-8 and eight team in football. And, and I am firmly of the belief, and I'm sure you guys have mentioned it, if not on the show, certainly in, in discussing things with Bills fans, because the topic of Rex Ryan seems to come up so frequently. But... 
Rex Ryan is completely full of shit when he's got a microphone in his face. And you can't believe a word he says. And especially when he's talking about the opponent, especially when he's talking about his own guys. Like, he's just so full of hot air and just feeding the media whatever they want to hear. But in this case, the Jacksonville Jaguars are or were the best 2-8 and eight team, now 2-9 and nine team in the NFL. They have some legitimate playmakers on that team because they've been drafting in the top six, top eight, top five of like the last nine drafts. Mm-hmm. And they are a highly ranked team on both offense and defense. I think they were top 10 in both going into this game. They just turned the ball over. And we couldn't get them to turn the ball over on Sunday. So like it, it shouldn't have been a shock to anybody that they, they hung around for as long as they did because we didn't force them to make the big mistakes, which has cost them so many games in all of these one-score games they've had. So that's why it was just a frustrating game because we couldn't take care of business and do to them what every other team does. I believe on Sunday – they threw out the stat that nine of thir- nine of Bortles' thirteen picks have come on third down. Right, right, Ooh. and he looked like a genius on third down against us. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I mean, and then you're talking about the very uh, again first half. We hold them to a field goal, and then because of a holding call, we give up that touchdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted to chew glass. That's it. I just I, I could have if I had a if I had a bottle in my hand, I might have bitten the neck off of it at that point. And then, and then I think the I mean outside of the final drive of the half, Buffalo just struggled to move the ball at all. We punted on our first four possessions. I mean, if it if it wasn't for the fact that we got that pass interference call, it's one of the few times in the entire half that that Tyrod Taylor actually tried to throw the ball downfield. We were lucky enough to get a pass interference call for twenty two yards on the play. I don't know that we'd go on to score on that drive. I would put you, Drew, as leading the charge of booze in the first half. I'd squarely you know, put that on and, you. And I've read online people being like, how dare you boo this team? If I would have been there, man, I would have been booing too. Because I've had it up to my eyeballs with the three and outs and the not letting your wide receivers and your tight end make a play on the ball. And, like, yeah, we got the P.I. call. Justin Hunter makes a crazy catch in the end zone. Crazy things happen when you throw the ball to the guys who are making millions of dollars to go up and catch it. Right, and that's been one of my major complaints. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, in fact, you know what? Screw it. You know what? Let's let's get into this. One of the storylines of the game for me, because we're talking about a tale of two halves here. In the second half, Tyrod Taylor started to play like Tyrod Taylor. But again, most of this game hinged on his play. I mean, he was like Jekyll and Hyde throughout the, the course of this entire game. Okay, we're 13 games into an NFL season, and I still can't honestly tell you if Tyrod Taylor's a good quarterback or not. I can't say with any conviction whether or not he's worth or isn't worth a contract extension because I haven't seen him do anything. This this accounts for the second game that we've won while we've been Tyrod has led us back after being down at least four points at any point in the game. So think about that for a second, Lars. All of the games where we've ever lost a lead or we've ever gone down, you know, some team outscored us at the beginning of the game. Tyrod Taylor in his career has only won two games where we're down by four points or more at any point in time. Yeah, it was uh, Sunday and then Tennessee last year. Yeah, and both were ugly, ugly, ugly games. And, you know, quite frankly, that's, I mean, that's that's a – very telling thing about your quarterback because great quarterbacks that just doesn't happen to them and part of what makes them great is that you can rely on them to pull the game out and you know to make a little magic happen and 
Tyrod Taylor has done the opposite. And I like Tyrod Taylor. I think he can do some great things. I think it's also disingenuous to say he's this fantastic playmaker. He is, but he also has zero pocket presence. And the fact that he is an elite athlete and can make plays gets him back to zero and sort of covers up for the fact that he, he has no internal clock. He has no way of knowing when it's time to scramble, where to scramble to. And he's able to make something out of nothing, but that's to say nothing as in something he couldn't find. I, I know that's probably really hard to follow, but like there's nothing there because he's not reading the defense well. He's not throwing guys open. So he can make something happen, but it's – it, there's nothing there at his because of his own doing, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And like I said, the, the Jekyll and Hyde analysis is what I always come back to with him. I mean, here, here's a perfect example. On the touchdown pass to Hunter, he shows that he has a knack to be able to put his – I mean, that's why his turnover numbers look so good. He has he, – I say it all the time on this show, and I don't know if anyone's ever said it to you before. Tyrod Taylor is a see-it-then-throw-it quarterback. Mm-hmm. You've seen quarterbacks in this league, Tom Brady, your Aaron Rodgers, your Peyton Mannings. Derek Carr, your, elite. God, I hate you. He's not elite. <laughs> your quarterbacks in this league who can throw a wide receiver open in stride. They, they, they see him covered, but they trust that he can beat his man, and they'll put the ball out there. You're right. That's a dangerous move to make with the football, but they're willing to take that shot. Tyrod has avoided making a ton of turnovers throughout the early portion of his career here because he puts the ball, he has to see a guy who looks open first. That's his first sign that he's even going to go to him. And when he does throw, he puts the ball where only his guy can get it or it's going to be an incompletion. Or let's not forget that he does not use the middle of the field that well. well. Okay, but, but that aside, I'm talking, so on the touchdown pass to Hunter, that's why that play, he sees that he has a big a big receiver. Open, open-ish in the end zone, and he throws the ball at such a height that if his guy can't go up and get it, nobody's getting that thing. And luckily for us, Justin Hunter went up and made a great catch. You know, he went up and he got that ball. That's that's why his QBR, and that's why I hate that statistic. His QBR for this game was a one hundred and fourteen, which, if you <laughs> saw that on its own, would make you believe that he did, he put on a solid performance, right? But. Here comes Hyde. Three sacks in the first half. I'm rewatching the all 22 footage. Only, you know, only one of them was Tyrod Taylor's fault. But it happened because he chose to scramble around and stop looking downfield instead of trying to keep his eyes downfield looking for a guy who's going to break open. And that's what you see that he's got Nick O'Leary open for a pass, but he just doesn't make it because he's too busy scrambling around. And like you said, once you start doing that and he doesn't have that pocket presence and he doesn't have that internal clock that tells him, okay, I have another second to hang in here and see if something develops, that's the problem. That that flares up and he ends up making more negative plays than positive plays. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I might get crucified by some of your listeners for saying this, but this is what I love so much about Ryan Fitzpatrick. When he came in, when he took over playing quarterback, we, we saw something in Buffalo that we hadn't seen in a long time, and we sure as hell haven't seen since. And that was guys catching the ball over the middle of the field in stride, running wide open with nobody in sight because Fitzpatrick was so good at throwing to a spot. And their guy would arrive, and he'd be in stride, and he'd have separation on his guy. I mean, there were so many times I'd be like, we'd all be like, how is Stevie Johnson getting so open? 
it wasn't necessarily he was getting open is because Fitzpatrick was so good at throwing him open. Unfortunately for Fitzpatrick, he his 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 balls were a lot bigger than his arm, and he <laughs> thought he he thought he could make a lot of passes that he simply could not, and then a mm-hmm. lot of those ended up resulting in interceptions. But when you think back on it, Tyrod doesn't have those arm deficiencies, and if it meant giving up a, a, an interception or two every game for the threat of having to move the ball and making defenses respect you, with what we have with LaShawn McCoy coming out of the backfield, I would more than happily make that trade-off. Oh, and you're right. I mean, that's his tentative nature. And, I mean, it, do, it does reduce his overall turnovers numbers, which is good. But it also limits the number of big plays that he's going to be able to make as a quarterback at an NFL level. But if you hear it come from him, he doesn't seem to care. The game has definitely changed. Uh, I mean, every quarterback, 32 quarterbacks, all of them play it differently. Um, I'm going to do uh, what I've been doing that's uh, got me to this point. Uh, and just continue to keep building and growing my game from that. Um, honestly, I don't play to, to please the people that's, that's watching, to be honest. I play for my teammates and uh, whatever it does, to, whatever it takes to win. That was Tyrod Taylor in his post-game press conference from BuffaloBills.com. I mean, I, I, Lars, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know how to respond to it either because they still put up 28 points. They're still top 10 in the, in the league in scoring points. So in some weird way they're getting it done, and uh, but a large that you know that comes largely from the running game since I think we're like twenty seventh and between twenty seventh and thirty two in every single passing statistic. But to say that the entire offense is anemic would be inaccurate. But I think that if you take Lashawn McCoy out of the equation, it probably would be. Oh, absolutely, and I think that. Hearing him say, I, I, I'm sorry, it just rubs me the wrong way. And people will say, oh, well, he didn't mean it like that, and you're being too sensitive. Okay, then call me oversensitive. But when the, the guy who's supposed to be leading my team on Sunday says that he doesn't, he's not playing the game and he doesn't care about what I think, you know, me as the diehard fan who you know, shows up when this team sucks and when it's five degrees outside to watch them play, he doesn't give a shit about what I think, that, that just makes my blood boil. It does. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm taking it. People are going to say, oh, you took that out of context. I don't give a shit. Don't say it. Because what you would say if you're a I, – I can't imagine that any other quarterback would step up to the podium and when faced with that kind of a question, wouldn't just admit that, hey, okay, so maybe I'm not perfect and maybe I know I have work to do, but I'm finding a way to get a win. I would yeah, take and you that. Know, it's, been, it's been mentioned a couple times now that uh, uh, Tyra this season – for the first time, he didn't do it all last season. He's gotten a little prickly with the media every once in a while. So I don't know if the criticisms are making their way to him. He, he's, you know, he's he's sold as this as this very calm, cool, collected customer, and I think for the most part he is. But every once in a while, he does get a little hot under the collar when he's got a microphone in his face. I don't know. I, I just know he better freaking cool it because <laughs> I'm losing my patience over here. I want to pull for you, and when you're not doing well, I defend you. So don't come – in after the game and tell me that you don't give a shit what I think. Because you know what? I'll stop defending you real quick. I know that Sammy Watkins has been on injured reserve all season, but I had so much hope after week 17 last year when it seemed like they had sort of adjusted the offense a little bit and were calling plays and, and running routes and doing things that we hadn't seen all season. And Sammy was catching the ball over the middle and underneath routes and slant routes and a bunch of things. And I thought that like, oh, well, you know, it, Bills fans love to blame coaching. They love to say, oh, it's the coach's fault. It's the play calling's fault. 
which I think is absolutely preposterous. It's it, it's symptomatic of us having had lousy quarterbacks for the last decade and a half. But mm-hmm. all of that promise has gone completely out the window. And, and it, I, it, it just pains me so much to say that I feel very strongly that he's taken a step back this year. Well, and I think some of that does have to do with his loss of weapons. You know what I mean? You can't keep rolling out guys that are street free agents and practice squad players and expecting him to make hay with that. You know what I mean? Perhaps. I, but so speaking of guys, you know, you, you just talked about Sammy Watkins. Okay. Sammy Watkins made his return back to the Bills lineup this weekend, and it's the first time he's played since week three. But he showed up, and I think that, in, at least in my opinion, he answered a lot of the, the Twitter trolls, the armchair, armchair quarterbacks out there, all the internet critics, everyone out there who talked a lot of shit to Sammy Watkins about how he's soft and about how he's not as good as everyone thinks he is. I'll tell you, he proved that he's far and away the best wide receiver on our roster when he's healthy. He's a stud. Anybody who says otherwise is an idiot. Thank you. I mean, he led all of our wide receivers. Three catches and 80 yards on only 45% of the team's snaps. So you played less than half the game and you came away with 80 yards. That, that, that's on three catches. And, and, against, yeah. and you're going against cornerbacks who aren't slouches. You know what I mean? It's not like this is a team that, unless the ball's getting turned over a lot, get torched on the regular. Was a Mukamara on him? And he had uh, Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, Jalen Ramsey and Amukamara, I mean, they're both first-round first draft picks. picks. And so here's a guy who can go out there, and even with limited snaps, when he is targeted, he found ways to make plays. You know, it's just it, So when you consider that Woods isn't ready to come back, and then you hear after the game that Sammy feels great, he feels fine, he feels like he's ready to keep rolling, I feel like he's a godsend to this team right now. You know what I mean? It's like manna from heaven at this point. I'll take a talented wide receiver who can just go out there and beat a double coverage or who can go out there and beat a cornerback when we need him to beat a cornerback. I mean, I, I think that as his workload increases, he's going to become more predominant, you know, a more prominent figure in this offense, let's say. I mean, what do you think about him moving forward? I think that I am very hopeful that there is a like a changing of a guard that happens gradually over time wherein Shady's touches get slowly transferred over to Sammy and the focus of the offense goes with it. I mean, considering the teams that we're about to play, they're not exactly the strongest secondaries in the NFL. Oh, I was talking over like the next several years. Yeah, if it happens over the next five games, I'd be, I'd be more than happy with that too. <laughs> All right. And then I've got some quick hits here I just want to get your thoughts on because here's what I think. First off, Shaq Lawson just cooled right right the hell off. Okay. He played 21 snaps and only recorded two quarterback pressures. No tackles, no sacks for the first time this entire season. I mean, he's played pretty well considering that all he's been asked to do so far. Because Lorenzo Alexander came on this season so well, he hasn't been asked to do a whole lot. But I feel like, you know, even with limited playing time, mostly as a situational pass rusher, that's a pretty average Jacksonville offensive line. And yet they found a way to hold him in check whenever he did get snaps. That's not what you want to see out of a first-round draft pick. Let me ask you this, though. Is this the first time – I'm pulling up the schedule right now. This is the – oh, no, it's not. Okay, never mind. I was going to say, he, having not been through training camp, having not been through any mini camps, and you know, basically just getting thrust into the middle of the season, he is still a rookie. 
So I don't know week to week if, if his body's even prepared to, to be able to play a high snap count, but it's only the second week in a row that he's had to play because of the bye week in week 10. Yeah. So it's not like he – fatigue, I could understand if he was fatigued, if he'd played a whole bunch of games, you know, if he was hitting that rookie wall kind of like Kiko right. Bronzo did for us. But that doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to – he just had a bad game. And we have to hope that he can rebound because I'll be honest, I think that guys – and, I'm not, and I, I got to admit to you, Lars, I heard the term the Lorax used on your oh, yeah. show and I've stolen it. It's, it's no, now something I throw around all the time. Lorenzo Alexander – I feel like he's kind of tapered off. Yeah. But what did they expect was going to happen with a guy in his mid, well, we'll call it early to mid-30s, who's playing a position that he's never been a starter at. He's never been a starter at defensive end. I mean, he was brought in here predominantly to be a special teams player. But he played so well that they had to cut Manny Lawson to keep him. And now we're seeing why, but I feel like in the last couple weeks, his play has started to taper off. Yeah, he doesn't have the same kind of pop he did, but uh, teams have to account for him now. And one of the things that we've been talking on our show a lot about relative to this is, okay, great, so now they have to account for Lorenzo Alexander. At what point does that mean that the focus that is going to Lorenzo Alexander that once was on Jerry Hughes is going to free up Jerry Hughes to do anything at all? Well, exactly, uh, and that's that's what we're, we're going to have to see more of. Yeah, uh, Jerry Hughes has got to step up, and if if in fact Lorenzo Alexander is hitting the wall and or drawing more attention, then it's time for Jerry Hughes to step up and make some bigger plays. I love Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes plays like his, his goddamn hair is on fire, and I love it. But he really hasn't done much of anything in, in terms of accumulating stats this year. I know that stats aren't everything, and that he plays his position well. Although he does bite a lot on on read option plays, mm-hmm. but um, I, I kind of want to see more from him. At the same time, though, Darius looks like every bit of the man-child he always was. I, I hope this injury that kept him out of the second half isn't too serious, but the defense is just takes on a whole new dimension when he's on the field. Well, and I think that that's the thing. I think we all expected that with um, Lorenzo Alexander getting all the attention that Jerry Hughes would thrive, but I think in, it's gone the opposite way. You know, Because now you've got Kyle Williams, who's put up a, a brilliant first half of the season. Darius is stepping right into that hole. So yeah. it's it's going to be paramount for the rest of our season that Darius find a way to get healthy and get back out there in the field. Are we are we pumping Kyle Williams full of gorilla blood on a weekly basis? I mean, he's going to play for the Bills until he's sixty, right? Like we're all good on we're I, all good with this. One of my favorite quotes of all time comes from about being a Bills player, or at least this is why Kyle Williams is one of the most endearing people on earth. He went on the Jim Rome show when he signed his most recent contract extension. Jim Rome had him on his show and asked him the question. He said, you know, hey, you know, you're coming into the twilight of your career. You know, you're, you're obviously a talented player. You've been to a Pro Bowl or two. Why would you agree to re-sign with a team that probably isn't going to get you anywhere when I'm sure other, play, other, compet, other contenders would love to have a guy with your talents on their team? And his response it was hilarious, and it made me laugh, and it's the reason why I don't ever want to see that guy retire. His response to Jim Rome was, I'm like an old hound dog. If you scratch me behind the ears every now and again, I'll stay under the porch. That is the good old boy in Kyle Williams. He's, just, he's, just a, he's loyal to a fault, and he loves this team, and he loves his teammates. And I love him, man. I'm, I'm serious. Like it's going to be when I, I got, I was sitting in my boss's office last year when I got the alert to my phone that the bills had cut Fred Jackson 
And like, I, I audibly gasped and my boss was like, what's the matter? And I was like, well, they just, the Buffalo Bills just cut like my all time favorite player. Um, <laughs> uh, so not having Fred and Kyle Williams on this team someday is, is going to be hard to deal with because mm-hmm. I, those two guys, and I, I wish we could bring Fred back in some capacity. But when Kyle Williams goes, I mean, you make the hound dog analogy. I mean, it's going to be like losing a pet. I mean, it's going to be a very, very hard day for Bills Nation. Oh, and from the sound of it, it's going to be hard for him too. <laughs> so one of the other points I wanted to bring up, why the hell aren't we utilizing Justin Hunter more? Okay. The guy is – he caught – he was targeted once in the passing game. He's, he's six foot four. Okay, He's a matchup nightmare for smaller cornerbacks. He caught his only target of the day for a touchdown and only played 21% of the snaps. He clearly has, you saw it on that touchdown, he has the size to go up and get a contested football. He can outfight his man for the ball if you ask him to, and if you put the ball in a place where he can get it. And yet we are giving him zero opportunities to showcase that. What is it all about? Well, you know, we're a run-first team. And I think the second part of that, we've already gone over the answer to. Same reason Charles Clay doesn't get more looks. Same reason Sammy Watkins doesn't get 12 targets a game. I mean, we've got a risk-averse quarterback whose talents, the talents for whom our receivers just don't seem to mesh. I, I totally agree with you. That, that throw and that catch of Justin Hunter in the end zone was a thing of beauty. He just put it up there and let the guy make a play. But we see that from Tyrod, what, once every six games, maybe if we're lucky? Yeah, no, it's definitely frustrating. But it's something that, it, even with even with Watkins back, we have to find a way to get these guys more involved because you're not going to win many football games if you're the one of the last place passing teams in football. We we have a lot of weapons, right? Like we're not we're not just being homers here. We're not crazy. Like if we if we had just I mean, close your eyes and imagine. I, I I know it's it's crazy, but like if like Tony Romo was our quarterback next year. Or anybody who has any kind of veteran presence or any kind of showcased any level of competence at playing quarterback beyond what we've seen from Tyrod Taylor in the last decade's worth of Bills quarterbacks. Between lost or between, excuse me, Watkins, Clay, Hunter, McCoy, Woods, we've got some legitimate weapons on this team, don't we? Yeah, I I will tell you this whether you like them or you hate them, most people seem to hate them, but. my last couple hours at work, I spend listening to Colin Cowherd, and he was going over on um, yesterday, going over the AFC, the AFC picture of the teams that are in the hunt. And he said, I was thinking about getting the audio for, for this. He said, I love Buffalo's roster. He thinks that we have a good makeup. Cowherd just hates Rex Ryan. Well, he hates Rex Ryan because he hates Rex Ryan. I love when Richie Incognito called him on it. I mean, I get your point of getting Tony Romo, but when Tony Romo breaks a hip like Kevin Cobb, I see him going down like Kevin Cobb in training camp, and then we're right back to where we started from, except we don't have a Tyrod Taylor. I, I, I totally agree with you, I'm, and I'm just, I'm just using Tony Romo as an example. I'm talking about a quarterback of his caliber. Yeah, no, we Even have if we had like a, a guy like Andy Dalton, if, if we had a yeah. quarter, if we had a, ran the offense the way we do it now, where we're run first. And the quarterback is only asked to do so many things, but it's a quarterback who has the, the timing and the pocket presence and the gumption to put the ball in playmakers' hands and put it where only they can get it. 
I mean, we could be just like lighting teams up, couldn't we? I, mean, I would like crazy. Take, I, I, I would over. take all of these quarterbacks that you mentioned, Dalton and Romo. I would take them over Tyrod Taylor well, in a he, heartbeat. You give me five years ago, Tony Romo, I'd take him. Not now. I'll take five years from now, Tony Romo over Tyrod. <laughs> wow. And then to get to one of my last points here, I'm sorry, but I want to see more of Jonathan Williams and Mike Gillisley. Right, first, yeah. first off, Jonathan Williams gets three carries for 12 yards. Okay, he's all season when he's been given carries, he's gotten a decent yards per carry average. Mike Gillisley finds himself in the same friggin' boat. Yet they get no playing time. Neither one of them sees any kind of you know a considerable number of snaps in this offense. I've been screaming about it. I've been throwing things. I punch the table and I yell about it here when we're podcasting. We have got to spell LaShawn McCoy more often. Mm-hmm. Listen to McCoy's comments about his fatigue level after the game in the postgame press conference. I was tired. That sounds bad. You know, I looked at Rex like, sorry, I was gassed. Um, and this is no excuse, but when you like stopping and going and cutting and, you know, it takes a lot out of you, even if it's like a two-yard run. So I was just gassed. And that was one of the plays where it's not a take, take a playoff, but um, you're thinking the ball's going deep or, you know. Um, and then as I seen Tyrod, I was the, the outlet, you know, um, blanket, you know, so like insurance. And he threw it, and I felt the guy. I was like, all right, I'm going to make him miss. I'm going to go, like, you know, but I was gassed, let's be honest. Shady's postgame comments, buffalobills.com. I mean, hopefully that's a fucking wake-up call for Rex Ryan and for Anthony Lynn. Yeah, and I think Jonathan Williams found himself in the doghouse when he fumbled against New England earlier in the season. Um and rightfully so, but man, I that fourth down run in the first half. First off, big ups to Rex Ryan for having the guts to go for it on first fourth down there. But putting the ball in the hands of your rookie, that was a big time run by him. And, and I agree with you; he looked great in preseason. He always looks great between the tackles. And ditto Mike Gilsley. Both these guys can certainly manufacture yards when we need them. But you know, it all comes down to we need to sustain drives. They'll get more touches when we run more plays. We'll run more plays when we get more first downs. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I know we, it's <laughs> for people listening to the podcast, they think we're just a bunch of bitter cranks here. I mean, we've got to look <laughs> at the positives. In the second half, the Bills found a way to win this football game. LaShawn McCoy, 98 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries. That's absurd. I mean, yeah, a lot of it came off one rush, but I don't give a damn. He made that one rush. And, and then you're talking about how we went out there. Now, I talked about how we punted on four possessions in the first half. Four straight possessions to open the sec- the first half. We scored touchdowns on three of our first four possessions to open up the second half. I mean, that's that's incredible at that point. Whenever we got in the red zone, we scored a touchdown. And then our defense held the Jaguars to 4.2 yards per play in the second half. I mean, that was it. The, the Jaguars, yeah, they, they got some points, but they we found a way to keep them in check and our offense came alive. Yeah, same thing against Cincinnati too. And, and same thing against Seattle. The last three games, defense has really turned it on in the second half and the offense has found a way to move the ball better. But uh, it'd be a whole lot better if we started hot and just <laughs> they were putting teams away rather than trying to trying to keep our necks above water. Oh, absolutely. Slow starts are killing us. So that brings us to, as it always does, our last part of our wrap-ups, Hero and Zero of the Week. Now, Lars, 
you got to have somebody in mind for this. After watching the football game, there has to be at least two guys who come to mind. One who stands out for positive reasons, one who stands out for negative reasons. What do you got for me? So I got there's two guys I want to talk about for zeros, but like you said, we don't want to be doom and gloomers here because I think you and I are both share a pretty pretty potent level of optimism, and, and that should come through a little bit more. But both of these guys, I'll only name one because you'll probably take the other one, represent huge areas of need on this team. And I'm going to go with Jonathan Meeks because I think that safety play has plagued this team now for two consecutive seasons. And it's it's bad news bears when you're playing in a defense that's predicated on safety play. And now two years in a row, when Aaron Williams has gone down, boy, the back end of the defense has struggled mightily. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan Meeks, you know, he took a took this guy a long time to get on the field. And given how bad Duke Williams was and that he was drafted at the same time as Meeks and he was getting playing time before him, we probably should have seen this coming. Uh, but now that Williams is gone and Meeks is getting his opportunity, he's showing that, yes, in fact, he may actually be worse than Duke Williams. And any Bills fan, within the sound of my voice, knows exactly how dire that can be. Oh, absolutely. And so then, uh, who do you got for your uh, hero? So I'm going to keep it in the defensive secondary, and I'm going to give it to my boy, Mikel Roby Coleman, uh, who is in the top five of my own personal power rankings of Buffalo Bills. He's kind of had a rough last couple seasons. I love the way this dude played when he was a rookie in 2013 when Patton had him blitzing all the time, and I've been kind of pissed that we haven't seen a whole lot of, of that from him since. But one of the storylines coming into this week was the Phantom PI call against Jacksonville in London, and he got the uh, he, he made a big play at the end of the game. Uh, on the last play, uh, the Jaguars ran on offense, borderline horse collar maybe but he he covered like a good 20 yards running across the field to pull that guy down and he plays hard he plays fast and i thought that just in general making that play was a little bit of redemption for him and i love his heart and i love the way he plays and he's had kind of a rough go of it this season and i thought it was a good moment for him no, and, and you know what yeah, I, i'll be honest i didn't think about either one of those guys when i was going to put this together nice i didn't I'm going to give you my hero and zero of the week, and we're going to start off with my hero of the week, Marcel Darius. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. (laughs) There were a lot of worthy candidates in the game. I mean, LaShawn McCoy sparked our offense time and time again when we needed to play. Richie Incognito finished his pro football focus as top-rated performer of the week, and they gave him the game ball out of all of the guys who played in our game. But for me, watching that football game, it comes down to Marcel Darius. He finally showed that game where he played like the guy that I expect to see on a week-in and week-out basis from a $100 million D tackle. He had eight tackles, three of them for a loss, two sacks, and two more quarterback pressures. I mean, he was just dominant. And there was, I'll be honest, we were just talking about how much we loved Kyle. Kyle Williams had some blown plays in this game. You know, there was two or three times I counted where he... He, he kind of broken tackles almost at the line of scrimmage. Plays that we're, we're used to seeing him make. So it's good to see that Marcel was willing to step up and just kind of take over that interior rush position. And he was just, I mean, he just looked like a man playing with boys. Dude's a beast. Love him. I mean, he. I just hope that he can get healthy because if he's heating up, we are absolutely going to need him. Next week, we're going to need all the A-gap pressure we can get. And then my zero of the game goes to Corey White. You blew it! 
It's usually hard to pick a zero when you win a football game, but the drop off and outside cornerback play when he can't when Darby came off the field was just it was obscene. I, I mean, we're lucky that one of his biggest busts in coverage, which was on Allen Robinson, got ruled out of bounds. You know what I mean? I, I, on replay, the call got overturned, but even then, he got burned by him later in the game. When I was watching the tape, he was routinely failing. He didn't even try to get his head turned around to see where the ball was. It was like he was just so focused on not getting beat by the receiver that he had no clue where, when the pass was coming, where the pass was going. We can't have that. You just can't win football games with a guy out there on the boundary like that. And I, I, I honestly think, especially with the matchup that we have coming up, it's just it does not bode well for our defense. No, the next two weeks, man, it could get real ugly real fast. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a lot of this is going to bank on Darby being healthy. Yep. Whew. So, all in all, it was a Bills win. We got out of there. <sighs> we can relax for a couple days at least, drink a beer or two. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then we have the AFC East Roundup. Oh. 49ers and Dolphins was a game... Jesus Christ. You want to call that a game? It went down to the final play. Of course it goes down to the final play because that's who the Dolphins are. I'm sick of all this bullshit about how great the Dolphins are. Okay? Considering how thoroughly we beat the hell out of the 49ers when we played them. I mean, it shouldn't come as a surprise that the Dolphins found a way to rattle their quarterback and use the rushing attack to put the game away. I mean, we did that. We did that and we did it handily. Why don't we look at their quarterbacks that they've beaten? They beat Roethlisberger his first week back after injury, and they've beaten Rivers and Keenum, or no, Goff in his first game, and Kaepernick. No, this is what I mean. They haven't beaten anyone that we haven't beaten, except for, well, I expect, I honestly, I expect us to, to at least contend with the Steelers in that game. Rivers, you can say what you want about Rivers, but the fact is, is that we have to take on a much bigger task in our AFC West matchup. I just oh, that's right. Because Carr is elite, and we'll get to that later. I look at the uh, I, I look at what they're bringing to the table over here. You know, f- from the Dolphins. Okay, they've won six straight games. Great, kudos for them. It is very difficult in the NFL to win six straight games. It is, but you were down by two scores to the Rams at home. You were down to the Rams. You. Went to the last play with the 49ers. It's like these are teams that we kind of, I don't want to say breeze through, but they weren't exactly, you know, fist fights, right, Lars? No, and let's just keep in mind that um, the month of December begins soon, and the weeks, the games played this Sunday will all be in December. And blowing your season in the month of December is a time honored Miami Dolphin tradition. And we're talking about that Rams game that they pulled completely out of their ass. Let's go back to the Cleveland Browns game. Yeah. It prevented them from starting the season 0-5. Where the, didn't, the, the Browns missed like a 12-yard field goal in overtime they missed, to hand the Dolphins that they win. They missed I mean, three field goals in that game. If, if, if yeah. the kicker can make one of those, I, I would like to believe. Yeah, I don't know that I'm the most athletic guy in the world, but I'd like to believe that I can kick a 12-yard field goal. Agreed. And, you know, Tannehill's finally done some decent things, finally, and Jay Ajayi looks good. But a lot of this magic that the Dolphins have been riding for the last six weeks is going to expire. 
And since it's December, I think it's going to start this week in Baltimore, and then it's just going to be a nosedive after that. Well, i got to hope so. I mean, the back half of their schedule looks difficult, and we all here as Bills fans have to watch and just hope. I mean, because right now they're in the sixth seed in the AFC, thanks to a Broncos loss, and they now the Broncos have a worse in-conference record. Someone, Some teams are going to have to take the Dolphins down if we have any hope of catching them. So... This weekend it starts in Baltimore. Everyone's going to have to have eyes on that game at 1 o'clock. I'm assuming it'll be the CBS game. I'm assuming that it'll be the CBS game. I don't know that for a fact yet. We'll know that tomorrow, 506sports.com. That comes out on Wednesdays, the coverage map. And then in the other game in the AFC East, the Jets played at home against the Patriots. And in all honesty, the Patriots didn't look like themselves. I mean, the Jets were in a position to win the game late. But Fitzpatrick, just as usual, couldn't find a way to get it done without turning the ball. You tell me he Fitzpatrick? No, oh, yeah, Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick. So I think it's worth noting that for the first time in a long time, the Patriots don't look okay. They don't. I, I mean, I think it comes down to injuries. Tom Brady in that knee injury. I don't care how you know how good he thinks he is at healing. His knee injury is limiting him significantly. I mean, he was only 3 of 8 on passes of more than 15 yards, and he was held to a 60% completion percentage. He never throws the ball that poorly. Gronkowski comes into the game with internal bleeding and a punctured lung and leaves with a back injury. (laughs) I mean, and then Bennett tweaks his ankle. He still came back and played, but, I mean, I don't know. Their team is just getting, I mean, it's injuries. And now these trades on defense with more and more injuries. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking, but I don't know how they're going to continue to compete at a level that's high enough to win a Super Bowl this year. No, and Tom Brady thinks he's hot shit because he learned somewhere that stretching is better for you than lifting weights. But I got news for you, Tom. Father Time is undefeated, and he's coming for you too. <laughs> absolutely, no, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately for everyone, they get to they they get a home game against the hilariously bad L.A. Rams. Thirteen and a half points. 13 and a half points is the spread. <laughs> Jesus. So, I mean, it doesn't appear that they're going to have much difficulty handling them. I mean, they just need to hope that Brady can pull his shit together because I, I don't know where they're going without him. You know? Nowhere. And so, as always, we're going to finish up here with our week 13 preview. And this week, it's the Bills versus the Raiders. Thanksgiving Day is bright and shiny in Oakland's new Coliseum, and the Bills continue to trample the opposition. Bobby Crockett again gathers in a kept talk, this time for 52 yards. The Bills have come back strong from their disastrous start. Joe Collier's club has lost only one of its last nine games, and with a 31-10 triumph over Oakland, Buffalo needs one more road victory for the division crown. I have no idea how Drew found that on YouTube. That is from November 24th, 1966. That is the last time we won in Oakland. That audio is from ESPN Classics talking about the last time the Buffalo Bills won a game in Oakland, boys and girls. 1966. Love it when they bring up streaks like that, don't you? Just like they wouldn't shut up about the Jacksonville Jaguars not scoring it. Touchdown the last 25 games. Yeah, please, let's talk about that all week. Please, please, please keep talking about how long it's been since the Bills have won in Oakland. I want nothing more than that. Oh, man, exactly. We're due. 
So let's let's run this bad boy down. Game time, 4 p.m. at the Coliseum. The game will be on CBS. And the call, guess who's calling it? Oh, I don't know. Is it Spiroditas? No. Ian Eagle. Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts. Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts. Two of the worst. Two of the worst. If I could, oh, if I could just listen. Chris, I would rather hear you. I would rather listen to you commentate that game. Well, you know what? The last time we had Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts, they described a dildo on the field. That's hilarious. (laughs) The early weather report, mostly sunny, low 50s, because you know that's California weather in December. Injuries to monitor. For Buffalo, the biggest injuries out there on the board right now, Ron Darby, still in the concussion protocol. Marcel Darius, deep, you know, he's out with an ab strain. And Percy Harvin, who apparently is still suffering some of the side effects of his migraines. I, they're not sure whether or not he's going to be ready to go on Sunday. And then for Oakland, their list, is, their list looks ugly. I mean, you've got DJ Hayden. They're probably their number two or three cornerback. Three cornerback, we'll call him. He's out with a hamstring. He had to leave the last game and did not return. Likewise, their starting cornerback, David Amerson. Hamstring Paul. Had to leave the last game and did not return. Perry Riley, inside linebacker. He's a veteran player. Out with a hamstring injury in the last game. Unquestionable to play. And then, of course, Derek Carr and the infamous pinky finger injury, which, in all honesty, I watched him play the last part of that game. I'm, he was still hucking the ball downfield. I'm not concerned about Derek Carr's pinky one bit. Neither am I. And the one thing that you missed on this list here is a betting line. And, Lars, we better get this out of the way right now. Betting line is three. Oakland is favored by three. Wow. And uh, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Lars, we did this uh, right before we got we got you on uh, on Skype. Is uh, I had to live up to my Seagram's bet from last week because Jacksonville covered the seven. I was one point off my prediction of twenty seven twenty one Bills win over the Jags. I'm calling right now that we're gonna get murdered on Sunday, okay. and I'll I will I'll the, the I'm I'm gonna do it again. The betting line is three. The betting line is three. So the betting line, the, no, hold, shut your mouth. The betting line is three. We'll triple it to nine. Oakland covers nine for a Seagrams. I will take that. I'll take that, you son of a bitch. Shake my hand. There we go, Lars. You heard it. You're our witness. Yep. So when we win, and this fool has to chug another one of these bullshit Se- I'm sorry, but whoever makes Seagrams, I said it earlier, can someone who works there or knows... Can you just firebomb the place for us? Do the world a favor. I mean, it tasted like he, he bought a, a four-pack of this stuff called sang, it's like Seagram Sangria. Sangria. It tastes like what I imagine Sangria would be if some, like, 40-year-old woman were to just pound it and then throw it back up. Well, they, they also, don't they have, like, a new, like, Seagram's Neon or, like, ele- Electricity or Jolt? It, like, looks like Powerade. Oh, good it, lord. It, oh, my God. Yeah, I, I saw I have a commercial not, report. It, I have it, not it, seen it. It was definitely it. marketed, like, directly at dudes, but it was, like, the least dude-looking <laughs> drink you could possibly imagine. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, don't tell me this, because if I find him, I'm going to make Chris, once he loses a bet, I'm going to make him bring him to my tailgate party so I can, ma- so I can mock him for an, entire, <laughs> for an entire morning. Well, Lars, I will tell you, I am 
ahead in Seagram's bet on Drew. Three to two, I lead in Seagram's bets. So folks, Everybody's a loser. <laughs> so, folks, we're looking at the Bills against the Oakland Raiders. It, Oakland is only a three-point favorite. Okay, Despite our game against the Patriots early on this season, the Raiders might actually be the most offensively dangerous team that we've faced all season. Over the last three weeks, they've averaged 29 points a game on offense. And their defense has tightened up some from where they were at the beginning of the season, but they're not exactly the healthiest guys in the world right now. So let's, let's move into right into the offensive scouting report. The Raiders know how to score, and their offense is one of the most efficient in the NFL. I mean, fifth in overall scoring, seventh in overall yards, third in turnovers. I mean, they've only, or no, actually, I think they dropped this week. I think they dropped down to fifth, but they have nine turnovers on the season. And they're 20th in third down efficiency. We're just a little bit higher, but that doesn't mean much. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, their offensive line, that's where we're going to start with all this. The offensive line is the backbone of the Raiders' offense. Eight months ago, Pro Football Focus wrote an article claiming that the Raiders could have the best offensive line in football this season based on the moves that they had made. They had a, you know, they've got a ton of veteran talent. They've got Donald Penn at left tackle, who has been there for, they drafted him, and he's played his balls off. Then they went out into free agency and got Kalechi Assembly, who, is, who was the top guard in free agency. And then they went out and drafted guys like Gabe Jackson and Austin Howard, who have kind of grown into their roles as guard and right tackle. They don't want to take anything away from their playmakers, but the offensive line out there, I mean, they're just, they're dominant. Last season, according to Pro Football Focus, when he wasn't pressured, Derek Carr had a passer rating of 96.4. And that was the basis of the article that Pro Football Focus wrote. They said if they can keep this offensive line together and pick up a few more pieces that can make a difference, you could see this team take a huge step forward because Derek Carr is a great quarterback when he's not pressured, which last year he was the guy was under siege. He was constantly being hit. Now... He has clean pockets, and the result is he's throwing for ridiculous yardage every single game. And, I mean, you look at the playmakers he has around him. I mean, Lars, you talk about how you think we have playmakers. What do you think about what's going on over there in Oakland? Well, I think that their run game kind of sucks. And I think that their defense has been suspect enough that if we can get up on them and force them to be one-dimensional, that's probably the only way we can defend their playmakers is, is to get into a pass put them in a pass-first mentality. I, 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 this team's kind of an enigma to me because they are, they've beaten some bad teams, they've beaten some good teams, but every single one of their wins is a squeaker. And Derek Carr is like the anti-Tyrod Taylor because he keeps getting all these come-from-behind wins. But just like the Dolphins, i got to believe that some of this magic's about to wear off for them too. And I'm kind of hopeful it's going to happen this week, but I can also see it getting real ugly real fast. Well, no, and, and you're not wrong. I mean, one of the one of the biggest things I see, like, and you just touched on it, offensive balance. Okay, the Raiders are the best on offense when they have that ability to kind of, you know, like you were just talking about, when they can put out an offense where they can run the ball and throw the ball, and they're not forced to be one dimensional. I mean, Latavius Murray, anyone who follows fantasy football, he's not a terrible player. And you know, they've got some decent rotational players in there. Their fullback can catch out of the backfield. They do a lot of nice things in that regard as far as the running game. But against Carolina, they averaged 1.8 yards per carry. 
I mean, that's <laughs> Carolina. Carolina has a good. Carolina no. has a good front four. Carolina has a good front four, but in all honesty, I, I don't know. They, they're playing without Luke Keekley, and the, I think we're deeper at talent than the Carolina Panthers are on the defensive line, you know, as long as Darius is healthy anyway. So in all honesty, I don't understand you know, how, does, how does a team like the Raiders get held to 1.8 yards per carry? Like you were saying, their rushing attack kind of sucks. And if we can force it, and that, I think that, that is the reason that some of these teams have found a way to force them into having to throw the ball as much as they throw it. Simply because the running game can't get it done. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just worried of a scenario where we're trying to key on the pass and then get run all over. Um, you know, we've seen that happen before, too, where teams that haven't been able to run the ball all season suddenly put up all-world numbers. That's why I'm, I'm hoping we get to a lead so that we kind of don't even have to worry about the run game at all because if we can focus on their pass game, I think that's our only prayer of slowing it down. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you're talking about the pass game. They have some dynamic receiving threats. I mean, you're talking about, first off, Carr can throw the ball. But he can't catch it by himself. I mean, he's not. He put up 480 yards on Tampa. How about this? 513 exact on Tampa. Five Get th- it right because he's an elite quarterback. He's not an elite quarterback. Totally elite. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper, which obviously, I, I mean, both of them have almost 100 catches. In fact, I think Amari Cooper went over 100 catches. I think he's over it. And he's already over the 1,000-yard mark. He's averaging 14.5 yards per catch, and he catches the ball on 67% of his targets. I mean, that's a matchup nightmare for defenses. That's Sammy Watkins on steroids because he's got a, he's got a gunslinger for a quarterback who's not afraid to put the ball where he's going to let his guy make a play on it. And, luckily, and those guys have been making plays. I mean, that's the insane part about this is that a lot of those catches, a lot of those like game-winning catches in the back of the end zone with toes dragging behind him, I mean, those guys have made some insane plays this year all credit be to Derek Carr because he lets his guys go get the ball and make plays and that's what we want out of Tyrod but those guys have been playing out of their minds for him oh absolutely and then you're talking about on the opposite side of the offense Crabtree only has 600 yards but he's got eight touchdowns right I mean that's ridiculous he's a savvy veteran receiver who when you get in close to the end zone all eyes keep you know because obviously Amari Cooper is their number one receiver so, but the problem is I think defense is key too much on Amari Cooper, and they forget that Michael Crabtree is a veteran, and he was a top-ten pick. You know, he probably should have been a top-five pick. He has the talent to play at this level, and he is abusing teams this season. He is absolutely just making people pay for it in the red zone. And then, that, that, that's the thing I find funny. Amari Cooper only has, for all of his yardage, Amari Cooper only has three receiving touchdowns. Hmm. So what that says is that when they get into the red zone, they're more than happy to let teams just double-team Amari Cooper because they're going to take that one-on-one matchup on the other side with Michael Crabtree. And then on the rare occasion that people decide to double both of them, Seth Roberts. I don't even know who Seth Roberts was, but he's got five touchdowns this season. I think he was a writer for Seinfeld. I thought he was a host on Sirius XM, but then that was Sam Roberts. <laughs> the, the fact is, is that Seth Roberts has come out of nowhere as a slot receiver because in the red zone, 
when the other two guys are doubled, Seth Roberts wins his one-on-one matchups. And Derek Carr has a way of throwing these guys open. I mean, they're, they're a three-headed monster in the receiving game. And I think that's, to your point, you don't want to see us get too wrapped up in trying to stop the pass and then get carved up by the run. But at the same time, how do you not respect that? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a matchup made in hell for their receivers who are trending up and who seem to just make every one-on-one ball thrown their way and our defensive backfield, which is trending down and have it won a one-on-one play all season. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's this, this matchup. That's why I'm a little bit surprised to see the line. Yeah, until I'm you, shocked to hear that. Until you take a look at their defense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right now they're 20. In fact, let me check this. I'm going to get the updated statistic. Because I know that my website, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this, sportingcharts.com. Mm-hmm. Sportingcharts.com has a really, uh, I don't know, they, they just have a really unique way of putting all the information out there for you. You can go to it. You can kind of take a look at it. And it kind of breaks down the entirety of a football team for you, statistically speaking. So I'm going to go here and I'm going to take a look at the Oakland Raiders. I'm looking at it. So after their last game, Here's here's something that throws me off. For as dynamic as their offense has been this season, you're talking about a team that's gone for 4,300 offensive yards, six most in, most in the entire NFL. They've given up 4,294. Six yards less than they've gained is what they've given up. That puts them at 28th place in the entire NFL for yardage yardage allowed by a defense, and they're 23rd in points per game against. Because their defense just isn't good. I mean, they're leaky. They allow a ton of yards. They allow almost 100. Oh, where, where are we at now? Let's see the updated statistic. They allow 117 rushing yards per game. Per game. Which plays right to the strength of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I, I'm shocked, though, that the, the other zero that I had written down that I thought for sure you'd take was Jordan Mills. Uh, and while their defense does suck, Khalil Mack most certainly does not. And the matchup between him and Jordan Mills could get could be pretty brutal. Pretty well, brutal Sunday. It, it absolutely could be. But you're also talking about a game that for as good as Bruce Irvin and Khalil Mack are, they're still allowing like a record number of passing yards. I mean, let's take a look at this here. Um, like I said, I'm going back to the website because I wrote this down and then the numbers all got skewed. They're allowing 283 yards passing per game. How many elite quarterbacks have they played this season? Not many. So the fact is that they're allowing average football teams to throw for a ton of yardage, a ton of yardage against them. So which is it then? Do we try to beat them at their own game? Do we unleash Shady and Sammy on them and play if we're going to score 110, you got to score 111 to beat us? Or does Rex Grind try to ground and pound them, rope-a-dope them, and play on a razor's edge, and this one comes down to like 13 to 9? See? Well, that all depends on what your philosophy is. I mean, first off, you want to talk about rushing vulnerabilities? I mean, they, you, you heard the figures. I mean, they held Denver to only 33 yards rushing. Okay, And I feel like that's probably – the game against Denver is probably the closest comparison that we can find to a game about like what we're going to see on Sunday. You're talking about a quarterback who they know, you know, even though we have some we have some dynamic threats on offense, they're talking about a quarterback that they don't they don't respect. They don't respect Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback. They're not going to. 
So what they're going to do is they're going to come after him and try to force us to run the ball to beat them. You know what I mean? They're, they're going to take that wall. They're going to run. They're going to try to take the running game away and make us have Tyrod Taylor have a 290-yard three-touchdown day. That's what they're going to try to do to us because that's what got them past the Denver Broncos, who I'd like to think are kind of what we are. You know what I mean? They're almost the same team as us. They've got a limited quarterback. They've got a decent rushing attack and a great defense. So they go out there and they play the same type of game, and it's I can see them trying to play us the same way. But at the same time, they've given up so many yards rushing over the last couple games that I think it's possible for us to still make hay, even if they, they come into the game focused on shutting a rushing attack down. Yeah, but time of, excuse me, time of position doesn't mean anything, and if we, we keep the ball in Derek Carr's hands, but then he's just putting it in the end zone every 25 seconds. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the game, the game could very well get away from us that way. And that, that's where the Rex Ryan, Dick Duran, you know, let's, let's, keep, let's keep the score low and let's keep the ball in our hands, which I, mean, I don't altogether disagree with. I think it's actually a, 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 probably a, you have a better chance of winning games that way. But you also, if you don't have the firepower to keep up with your opponent, that can get away from you and, and you're stuck. Oh, absolutely. But, so if we're, pre, if we're talking about the, the Oakland defense – they have injuries at defensive tackle. They have injuries at inside linebacker. They have injuries at cornerback. They're not a healthy team right now. And even when they were a healthy team, they weren't very good against the run. That tells me that you know capitalizing on those weaknesses is going to be key if we have any shot at winning this football game. But then to your point, Khalil Mack is an absolute monster. I mean, for, for anyone out there who's listening to this podcast who hasn't been paying attention, Khalil Mack is having an, all, an all-world season. I mean, just another great season for the Raiders. He's an amazing athlete. I mean, ultimately, I would say if you're dealing with a Khalil Mack, I would run at him. Okay? That's his one weakness. He is not he's not a physically imposing player, and if you can put a double if you can double him up in the rushing attack and come at him, it's not only gonna help you in the sense that You'll keep him, you know, you, you can make some hay on that side of the defensive line, but it's going to make him less likely to just pin his ears back. You know, if you can catch him on a counter, if you can catch him on a couple traps, you know, maybe some sweeps, something that gets him out of position or a draw or two, something that gets him thinking, you know, moving one way and then having to react and go another, it's going to limit what he's willing to do in the pass rush department. Because if he just pins his ears back and comes after us, we're in a lot of trouble. Absolutely yeah, a lot of trouble. Nothing Jordan Mills is going to do about it. Oh, no, not at all. So that brings me to our keys to victory. Now, you and I were just talking about it a second ago. First off, I think the biggest key to victory for the Buffalo Bills, pressure from the defensive line. If we have to blitz in order to create pressure, it's going to leave our – I mean, we're already shorthanded. You were talking about it. Our, our secondary has struggled. If we have to send linebackers or nickel corners and hope that a linebacker can cover Seth Roberts in space, we're going to get beaten badly. I just that, that, that is my gut feeling. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a lot of jokes about taxi cabs and delis. <laughs> Absolutely. I think what's going to have to happen is that if we have any shot at winning this game, our defensive line is going to have to find a way. Even though the Raiders' line has proven very good this season at giving Carr the time to step up into a clean pocket and throw, you know they talked about it. His completion percentage—he has a 94 quarterback rating when you give him a clean pocket. I think that it's going to be on our defensive line with no blitzing help to find a way to get that pressure, collapse that pocket, and force him to the side. Because if not, 
it's going to be another Tom Brady situation. You know, he's just going to step up in the pocket and find someone. Yeah, I think that our team is also way overdue for some turnovers. And I think that I think we have to go into the fourth quarter with a two score lead. And I think the only way we get there is if we capitalize on turnovers. No, that's and that comes down to the last two keys I have back end communication. Okay, you were talking about how depleted our, our secondary is. We're rolling a group of guys at the safety position who haven't played together this season. I mean, they, they, were, they were training Corey White to play safety until Darby went out. And then he had to fill in. So who knows who's going to be starting back there? Our communication is going to have to be on point. Because if it's not, we are going to get completely exposed in the back end, which plays right to the strengths of the Raiders. That's how you're going to come up with those. That's how you're going to come up with those turnovers you're talking about. Is if everyone out there is on the same page and they can execute the defensive play calls appropriately. If they don't, we're in a shitload of trouble. And then I think the last key is winning the time of possession and capitalizing on opportunities. We were a hundred percent in the red zone on Sunday, and now we're going up against a defense who's, I mean, on paper, just nothing about this defense screams. Good. I don't even want to say. I don't want to say. You know, borderline. I, this is not a good defense that we're playing against. They're not healthy. They have a lot of problems. I think that if we can go in there and we can do what we did in the red zone against the Jaguars, against these guys, and if we can also hold the ball long enough to keep Derek Carr from running up the score on us, we have a legitimate shot at winning this football game. I'll tell you what. I actually feel great about this game on Sunday. Uh, sort of sounding like a miser talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars game. I'm, you're going to think that I'm going to sound like a completely pie-in-the-sky homer talking about this game. I love our matchup against this Oakland Raiders team who has won so many games by hit, missing by golly, and every bounce has gone their way, and every blade of grass seems to be bent in just the right direction for them to pull these wins out. And this Buffalo Bills team with Rex Ryan at the helm has their backs up against the wall. Every game from here on out is a must-win game. I think they're going to go in there and take care of business. I think they're going to stun them, and I think we're actually going to win pretty big. Or, really? Or the Raiders are going to have a chance to win the game, and they're just not going to pull this one out, and we're going to squeak by and, and head back home to take on Pittsburgh. Well, I, I, whatever it is, I felt I had a horrible feeling about the Jaguars game. I thought that was going to be an ugly game. I had a great feeling about the Seattle game. I thought we were going to play well. I feel good about this game going into it. All right, so then I got to ask you. I have to ask you. Final score, what's your prediction? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be like a squeaker. I think it's going to be like 24 to 13 Buffalo. And I know, I know that's a two-score game, but I, I don't I don't think we're going to get into a shootout because this team has managed to flip the script on us all year. When we were heading into Seattle, everyone's like, "Well, this is going to be a 6 to 2 grinder." And then what was the final score? Like 31 to 24 or whatever it was up there. Because for whatever reason, these two teams came alive. I think the Bills, they don't have a chance of winning a track beat with the Raiders. I think they know that. And I think that we're going to somehow prevent them from scoring and then just do what we do, which is score anywhere between 28, 21 and 28 points a game. And we're going to come out of there with a win. So what did I say? 21-13? 24-13? Yeah, 24-13. All right, Chris, what we'll do you got? 24-13. Chris, since you're always wrong, what do you got? I was so close last week. Well, we triple earlier. We tripled the line. I mean, you already said that they're going to win by ten. So nine. Well, so the line's nine. Okay, so you think they'll cover though? Yeah. Well, I right here. Look at that. Okay. That's Raiders' schedule. The Tyrod is the 
third worst quarterback they're facing. Chris, how many of their games this season Simeon, have they won by ten? Uh, two. <laughs> Simeon, Simeon, and Osweiler are the only two worst quarterbacks that they've seen this season. Tyrod will be right there at three. Okay. It's not even going to be close. I've seen the story. Oakland did it to us two years ago. Okay. It's not even going to be close. Oakland is going to win 38-14. to 14. 38? That Oakland team was 2-8 and eight in 2014, lest, lest we forget. 38-14. to 14. Wow. I've seen the story. I mean, Lars, I took, before we recorded tonight, I told, I told Drew the stat. We've missed the playoffs 16 years in a row. Can you guess how many of those seasons in Week 12 were six and five or five and six? I actually looked this up last week. It's something ridiculous, like nine of those years. It's eight. Yeah. Eight, half the time, we've either been in coming out of Week 12, five and six, or six and five. See, but this is the difference between Chris and I. Chris looks at the numbers and he says, oh, well, this is we're due, and this is this, and that's that. What no, I no, the is, fact is, is I'm a realist. The you're fact, not. <laughs> the fact is, is that you're right. Maybe you're a realist and maybe I'm not. Chris, I have hope. And you know what? If I didn't have hope, I couldn't get out of bed every day. I couldn't pony up my check for my season tickets every single year. If I didn't have hope. And I've got hope this week. I think it. I, I you know what? I'm, I'm leaning towards the squeaker aspect of this. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think the Bills are going to get away with it with another 55-yard field goal from Dan Carpenter. He's due for a game winner. He's had at least one nail-biter field goal victory every single year. 24-21 Buffalo Bills. Oh, God, I can't take that. <laughs> you weren't me either, buddy. Lars, it's well, something. That, I mean, Lars, that, that's why I have a full wet bar in my basement, <laughs> complete, complete with two beer fridges and fully stocked with liquor because I can't handle that. Lars, I said it last week. The, the, it's been the story the last couple of years. The Bills always play to the level of who they're playing. We played like a two and eight Jacksonville team last last week. We kept up with the Seahawks. We've always kept up with the Patriots but because we, Rex we, knows how to get his guys fired up. He knows it. Football's yeah, but can't emo- get it over the top. Football is an emotional game, and you got to play it with some fire. Right now, the uh, the Oakland Raiders are looking at this like, okay, we're playing the Buffalo Bills, and the Buffalo Bills are playing as if our lives depend on this. I don't, I don't know if the win or lose. I expect, I, I hope they'll win. I'm confident that I think that they have a shot at it, but ultimately, I expect them to go out there and not fall on their faces. That's what I expect. I expect them to not go out there and fall on their faces. Well, two things the Raiders haven't done this year is, one, blow a team out, and two, lose a close game. So, in that sense, we're due for probably one of those two things. Lars, thanks for coming on with us tonight, man. I appreciate it. So, where can people find you on Twitter, and where can they go ahead and find your podcast? Yeah, so just go ahead and search Bills and Beers, um, and our podcast is available through iTunes Store, wherever else podcasts are available. Um, and then Facebook is usually the best way to stay in touch with us. We've got um, a Podbean page, but that just basically serves to feed uh, the podcast feed. So Facebook and Twitter are best ways to find us. And if you are in Chicago on game day, come find us. We sit right down front. We've got a preserved table. There's a be- there'll be a beer waiting for you. Oh, at Twitter, on Twitter, at Bills and Beers. Guys, if, right. you, if you have anything you want to say to us, any questions, comments, we'd be more than happy to read them. At Rock Power Report 716 at gmail.com. Yeah, 
To those of you who actually emailed me just to send me hate mail, keep sending it. I love it. Hey, you're just you're just fueling the fire, baby. And if you got anything to say? You think I sound like a jackass? Let me know it on Twitter. I appreciate it. At Rockpile Report. Instagram. What did we on Instagram? I have no clue because I don't Instagram. At the Rockpile Report on Instagram. I handle that. Chris Instagrams. You want to know why? Because when I think of Instagram, I think of, I don't know, girls. I think of like 17-year-old girls taking pictures of dresses at department stores. I'm not doing it. Nope. You can find some podcast pictures on our Instagram. Or if you want to know what comics I'm going to see at Helium, then check out Instagram. (laughs) All right, folks, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Lars, thanks for coming on with us. I really appreciate it. We got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Lars from Bills and Beers. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockball Report. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.